It was great. We got rid of a lot of stuff and got a lot of things cleaned up and all, so thanks for coming. If you were here or if you weren't here, everything that's stacked up on the loading dock, and I haven't been out there today to see how much stuff is still there, but it's all up for grabs except for the school bus and, uh, <laughs> and Compass Bible Church's traffic cones. I think everything else out there you're welcome to, so go ahead and see if there's Last time I looked, there were file cabinets and desks and chairs and different things. So if you see something out there you can use, take it. It's just like a swap meet without a price and without the churros. But uh, <laughs> so go on by there after church and see if there's anything you could want. Also, thanks to those who went down to Mexico to help with the women's conference yesterday. That was very successful as well and really a blessing, I know. So appreciate you, you people helping out. Um, let's have the ushers come forward right now to receive the offering. As they do, I'll go over a few announcements. There's an announcement here about the high school girls' discipleship group, and the way, the way it's worded, I'll read it to you. It says, high school girls' discipleship group meets every today at noon in the upstairs conference room. So I guess today is one of the every todays, so I'm assuming those high school girls are meeting up in the conference room, so if you're a high school girl, you're, you're welcome to come and participate in that. Our women's studies are starting up this week on Tuesday nights at 7.15 and on Friday mornings at 9. And so if you haven't signed up, go ahead and sign up in the foyer. We're really getting a good response. It's exciting that we're offering two different choices, the Tuesday evening one and the Friday morning one. Also, they could use some people to help with childcare, especially the Friday morning one, which seems to have the most children. And we have several people who are helping with childcare, but they could use some more. And uh, we're threatening to some of us old guys are going to do it. And and uh, if, if better qualified people don't step forward. So I'm kind of looking forward to it myself. But uh, still, if you want to help out, I know they would appreciate that. Even if you could just do it once in a while on a, on a Friday morning, that would be great. Um, let's see, if you have extra boxes, we're packing and getting ready to move over to our new facility over on Moulton. The way the schedule works right now, by the end of October, we plan on being moved over there. So um, you can keep that in mind. But if you have boxes, Go ahead and flatten them out for us, and you can leave them anytime during the week over in the little foyer over on that side of the church, and we'll use the boxes to help us in our move, so that would be great if you can do that. Um, also, it reminds me, and we don't have an announcement on it yet, but because of the timing of our move, we won't be doing our own Halloween alternative thing this year, since that might be a couple days after we're moved over there, but we are working with Compass Bible Church in theirs that they're going to be doing over at the Jewish temple down the street here. And so, uh, again, that'll be available to you if you'd like to help. I know opportunities will be there. And also, if you think of it, and when you're in the store and you see those big piles of little candy bars, um, you know, pick some of those up, and we'll have a box out in the foyer later where you can drop them off so that our kids will get plenty of sugar as they celebrate the alternative to Halloween. It's always a good thing. You know, you see those candies and you want them. You buy the bag. Just eat a couple of them and think about what it's doing to you and give the rest here and the kids will get them. They can handle it better than you or I can, that's for sure. Um, also for Children's Church, Kenny would like a volunteer to be kind of Children's Ministry Administrative Coordinator 
to put in a few hours a week just helping coordinate children's ministry. So if God's been laying on your heart that maybe there's some ministry that you'd get, like to get involved in, you can talk to Ken and see what's involved with that. Also, we had our counseling seminar um, a couple weeks ago, a week ago Saturday, and they, they recorded it, and the CDs and resource um, printouts are available in the tape room. So if you missed that seminar, or even if you were there and you'd like to be able to review it, um, just go by the tape room uh, after church, and they can get those to you. I think that's about all, so let's, John, what now? <laughs> The Wisdom Seekers meet next Sunday at 2 o'clock in the prayer room. All right. Yes. Oh, come on. Let's really hear it for the Wisdom Seekers. Ooh, Jerry Hill's going to be sharing, so that's, that'll be good. You know, if everyone was like Joan, we wouldn't even have to have a bulletin. You just let people shout out their announcements. That's those years of being a toastmaster, huh? Not afraid. All right, Philippians. We started last week going through the book of Philippians, and it's a great book to study, especially if you're going through tough times, because Philippians is a book that was written by a guy who was in the toughest of times. Paul was in prison in a dungeon in Rome. He had worn out all his appeals. He had one appeal left, and that was to Caesar. Most likely, he was facing the death penalty. He was in an uncomfortable situation, writing to Christians in the city of Philippi, there in northeastern uh, Greece, and they themselves were also going through similar persecution and difficult times. And yet it's amazing, as Paul wrote this book, that he chose to write about joy and rejoicing. It's what the whole book is about, basically. Giving us clues and hints as to how we can find, in the midst of our difficulties, sufferings, and trials, how we can find true joy. And so we need it. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and we definitely need help when we're going through difficult times. And so I love going through this book because of that. Last week we looked at verse 1, and so let's pick up in verse 2 of chapter 1, the book of Philippians. And Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives this greeting, grace and peace. Now, Grace and peace are two things that, if I was in prison, they probably wouldn't be the first things that come to mind. And if I was writing to people who are suffering, I might not initially think of grace and peace. But grace and peace were common greetings in those days. In the Old Testament, peace among the Hebrews was the greeting, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, with the Greeks, a common word for greeting was grace, charis. And so he puts both of these words together. They mean really roughly the same thing. The charis, the grace of God, it's not just a simple word that means one technical definition unless it's used in a technical sense. But in the overall sense, grace refers to all of the blessings of God, everything good that there is, all the riches of existence. Oh, I pray that that would just shower you. I just pray that you would be blessed beyond your imagination with the grace of God, the charis of God. The Hebrews use the word shalom 
very much in the same way. It didn't just mean peace in terms of, well, we're not at war right now. But the, but the shalom of God is all the blessings and the warmth and the character and the love of God. May it just shower you. May it be upon you in an abundant way. And so again, we see someone who's living in a difficult situation, writing to people who are in difficult situations, and he's talking about grace and peace. And he said, it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to bore you with all the technicalities of it, but the grammatical structure in which that is put together indicates that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are distinct, but they're, but they're seen as one at the same time. They're very close. The way we see that in the Greek is the the in verse 2, the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't in the original. It leaves off the definite article, identifying the two of them together as being intimately connected. And so he's saying, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may they give you everything that you've ever wanted, all the grace and peace imaginable. I'm welcoming you. I'm telling you, hey, good news. Paul's addressing them with a wonderful attitude, even though he and them found themselves in tough times. He goes on to say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He now, over the next several verses, and we'll cover them over the next several weeks, shares his prayer to God for them, basically. He goes into prayer and thanksgiving, and he says, I thank my God, personalizes it, Upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. Dr. McGee says that Paul was a southerner because he says you all a lot. This is one of those places. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day, Paul came to Philippi and got beaten and thrown in prison. And that was the start of the work of God in Philippi. And Paul said, you know, ever since we met that first day, when I was singing praises in prison and was released, and, and the Philippian jailer and his household ended up being saved, and the church started there, he goes, man, ever since that happened, this joy and this thanksgiving, when I think of you guys, I think of good things, he's saying. And again, when you put it into the historical context, you go, it's kind of amazing that he's praying for them with joy. When I pray for people who have serious problems, quite often I'll confess to you it isn't with joy. Our church has a, a prayer list, and anyone who puts prayer requests in, we put them together and they're sent out in emails so that people can pray for them. If you'd like to be involved with that, praying for those requests. Just let the office know, and they'll put you on the list. But every week, I get an email with all the prayer requests of people in our church. And there are people who have serious physical problems, others with emotional needs, others who are, their hearts just hurting for one of their loved ones that needs to know the Lord, and others who need employment. And there are all sorts of different situations. And as I go through that list, it, so often the last thing I'm thinking of, to be honest with you, is joy. Because I'm thinking need. I'm thinking, wow, we've got some real problems here that we need to address and that the Lord needs to take care of. But that's the difference between Paul and me. Paul, as he was praying for these difficulties, in these difficulties, he's going, man, when I'm praying for you, I'm just cracking up. I'm just experiencing so much joy, the joy of the Lord that's our strength. He said, I can do that. And so the question is, how can you do that? 
And this whole book is an explanation of it. But in verse 6 that we'll read in just a moment, I think there's the key to how in the world we can live in joy when things around us may seem like they are falling apart or when our particular situation is not the way we would like it. You know people who are that way. It seems like no matter what they're going through, there's a joy that exudes from their life. Some people just seem to march to a different drummer. The other day I was driving over on Victoria near the 55 freeway in Costa Mesa, and now that real estate is kind of slowing down a bit, I'm starting to see again these people who are hired to stand out on the corner with these big signs. That are, it's a big, huge arrow, and it has the name of some real estate development or condominium conversion, and I saw some people out on the corner doing that. Now, that isn't my idea of a wonderful job. I, you know, and I would say, and sorry, but if that's, if you're, say, 30 or over and, and you're spending time out there holding one of those signs, I, you kind of wonder whether you haven't made some sort of a bad career decision somewhere along the way. But these people are out there, and now they let them wear headphones, so, you know, they have iPods on. But the idea is to get as much attention as you can. The first guy I saw doing it looked like he was in his 40s, and he was just sitting there holding the sign. He's just standing there. He's got his headphones on, but he's not tapping his foot. He's, not, he's just, ugh. And then about a half a block down, I see one of his associates from the same development. And this guy is like a heavier set guy. He looks like he's probably in his early 20s. And he is just jumping all over the place. And he's playing air guitar on this big arrow. And he's jumping up in the air and doing the splits. He's spinning around. And I'm like, Man, that's the attitude I want to have about my job. I want to have that. Now, I, you know, I started thinking, I bet they don't both have the same music on their iPod. <laughs> something tells me the guy that's jumping around is probably listening to Freebird by Leonard Skinner or something. And the other guy's probably got Barry Manilow on there. And it's just like, oh, you know. But when people look at our lives, what do they see? What does it look like we're listening to? What is that secret tune that drives us? And if we can figure that out, we can either attract attention to that which is good. We can either be people who, when others see us, they go, wow, there's somebody who really enjoys life. There's someone who really enjoys their job. It's the difference between standing there going, I hate my life, and jumping around playing air guitar and thinking, I finally got a job in show business, you know? <laughs> and as we see Paul, we see a man who was just incessantly optimistic. And he was able to take whatever happened to him, beatings and stonings and imprisonments. And he goes, you know what, man? I love my life. I am enjoying this. I have a joy and a peace and a love and and." Boy, God's just, I'm blessed. And in verse 6 here, I think we see the key to it. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident. The word there in the Greek is the word pytho. It means that you have been convinced by the evidence. It's often translated, I'm persuaded. 
the confidence that Paul had in what he was sharing here is something that came to him because God proved it to him. The evidence was there. Again and again, he discovered God's faithfulness. And as a result, he said, listen, I'm not telling you something that I kind of think. I'm not just sharing my perspective or my opinion. Here is something of which I am absolutely and objectively convinced. You can take this to the bank. You can count on this. That's how confident I am, being confident of this very thing. That's kind of awkward even in English, of this very thing. It's actually two words in Greek that are kind of unusual to be put together. One of them's tauto and the other's autos. And they both mean kind of the same thing. They're like, a, they're like that real estate arrow. They're going, look at this. Check it out. And he puts them together in a way that's, that's superfluous in a way because he's saying, okay, I'm confident of this. He's going, check this out, listen to what I'm going to say, pay close attention to this, and then back up, and I'm going, this, this, this. This is exactly, he's drawing a target around what he's going to say. He's going, let me put as much attention on this as I can, even though it may be awkward in the language. Look at this, he says, and this is what I'm persuaded of, this very thing, this particular thing. Here's what it is. He You could probably stop there, but he goes on. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he says, has anything good ever happened? Has God, this one in whom I am so persuaded and confident, has he ever done anything good for you? Did he ever start? Did he ever get going in your life? And you go, let's see. What has God done for me? Well, we can start with, he sent his son to die for you. How's that? And then there's all sorts of other things that we've seen him do as well. And Paul says, I know because God has started with you good things, that he is going to complete it, that he is going to finish what he started, because I know God, and God is faithful. The word there to complete it is the word epitaleo, and the word epi is a preposition that means kind of to be saturated with or to be superimposed over in its basic definition. It's sometimes translated on, over, against, but it really means this is saturated. Telos, the second part of this word for complete, is the word that means end, the finish, the end of something. We use the word tele in telescope. Scopos is the word to look intently on. Telos telos is to see the end, and so it's like looking intently to see the end of things. And so he uses this word, epitaleo, to say in the most saturated way possible, he takes you to the end, across the finish line. The word that's translated there, until, is a word that means as long as you can go past the finish line. And so uh, that word complete, by the way, we saw the same word in Galatians when Paul appealed to the Christians and he said, look, having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect by the flesh? That word for made perfect there in Galatians 3 is this same word, epitaleo. It's like you have a painting and it started but you're going to finish it 
and make it just this beautiful masterpiece. And he goes, God has started good things in you. And he will perfect it. He will complete it. God finishes what he started. He finishes well. He finishes strong. He hits the finish line full speed because that's the way God is. And he will do that until you meet Jesus Christ face to face, until the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever day that is for you, if he comes and takes us and we're raptured to be with him all together, or if someday your life is over and your first breath on earth Last breath on earth then becomes your next breath is your first breath in heaven. And there you are in the presence of Jesus. And you experience that completion that John talks about when he says, you know, beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. That transformation that happens when we finally see Jesus, that's the finish line when we look like him. But what Paul is saying here is, I get great joy in knowing the fact that when God starts, everything that he does fits with his transformation of us into the image of Jesus Christ. And you may not look like much at first, but God's work in your life is how he can bring you to the point where you are truly a masterpiece. And that's what life is about for us. That's why we are still here. I'd love it if when you became a Christian, boom, you just disappeared and you were in heaven. But there's a work that God wants to do in our lives down here. And the fact that you're still here means God isn't finished with you yet. He still has things that he wants to do. And so often we look back and we think of the glory days. Man, when I was younger, I was so full of dreams. I was so full of vision and ideas and promise, and God did awesome things in my life. It was just a joy one step at a time, but I feel like now I'm over the hump. I feel like now I've spent my better days, and now I'm just kind of waiting for God to take me. I'm done. I've, you know, the, the race goes to the swift and the young, and I don't even know why I'm still here. But God says... Your better days are ahead of you. And I believe for each one of us who know Jesus Christ, I'm absolutely convinced and persuaded. I've had it proven to me over and over again. Your best days, and mine too, are ahead of us. Because God's not finished with us. The fact that we're still here breathing means he's not done. And that's comforting. Now, when we see how we are right now, we become discouraged easily. It's kind of like a mirror, you know, most people, I, I suppose there are some people who look in a mirror just to see how good-looking they are. No, oh, wow. But for most of us, the mirror is there to try to help us to be presentable enough to not completely disgust the rest of the world. <laughs> so we look in the mirror to see what's wrong. Okay, what is it? Oh, man, there's just so much. So let me see how, what kind of damage control I can do to just minimize the grotesque effect. And that's kind of what a mirror does. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians and says the Bible is like a mirror. You look in it, whoa. But God transforms you through that, and he makes you presentable. More than presentable, he makes you perfect. He works in your life and makes you exactly who you were designed to be. And here, that's what he has in mind. You know what? 
You are in process. God's not finished. I'm so glad God isn't finished with me. I'm so glad that this isn't just the best I'm going to be. I, I had a friend who, he, he just didn't like anyone telling him what to do or how to be. And just a great guy, but he, he had a girlfriend who was quite a bit younger than he was. And she wanted to marry him really bad. And so they went for premarital counseling. And he was trying to talk her out of marrying him. And they went into the counselor, and, and uh, he's, the counselor said to the, to the guy, Randy, he goes, okay, do you have, what, do you, what do you want your fiancé here to know about you? And he said, let me just make this really clear. You see me how I am. I don't get any better than this. This is the best it's going to get. And it was a nice thought, you know. A nice thing to say. They still didn't put it in their wedding vows or anything. I promise to just be the same person that I am right now. And, you know, every once in a while I see him, and he's pretty much fulfilled his promise. But, <laughs> but for most of us, we look at life, and we want to go, I hope it gets better than this. I hope I can grow. hope I can grow closer to the Lord. It's one of the reasons why I think we you know, still desire to live. Once we get on fire for the Lord, we think back on those days when we weren't walking with the Lord or we didn't know Him. And we think of the damage that we did to people that we love. We think of the things that we did out of our ignorance. And we think, I hope I have an opportunity to unravel some of that, to make a different impression. It's a great feeling when you run into someone that you haven't seen for years and you go, you know, I was such a bad influence on that person. I'm so glad right now that I can begin to let them see a different side. I think it's one of the things about being a parent. Most people, when they're raising their kids, they don't know what they're doing. And you, it's just a miracle that your kids survive. And, you know, and yeah, sure, they survive being bitter against you, but still, at least they're around. And then I think the rest of your life, and you probably do it through your grandkids as you get older, it's like, let me have another crack at this. Let me show you what really matters. I'm sorry that I made such a big deal about things that didn't matter. Now let me try to live my life in a different way. And that's great that God gives us, when he gives us the opportunity to do a to do a mulligan, you know, to, to do a makeover. It's just, it, it, it's nice, a do-over. And, you know, that's what life is. When God gets a hold of us, he goes, I'm going to give you a chance to do this differently than the way you've done it so far. I want to change you. I want to fix what's wrong with you. And it's not too late to make up for the failure, to make up for the shortcoming. It's not too late to... For God to clean up your act, that's the process that we call life. And when we live this life with him, with him being the one who motivates and leads and guides us, there's enough time left. Because God can turn things around a lot in a lot shorter time than it takes for us to mess them up. And the Lord wants us to understand, you're alive. I'm not through with you. I can undo so many things. The years that the moth and locusts have devoured you, I can, I can change all that if you just let me. Because with me, my mercies are new every morning. For us, the trick is to realize it's really true. 
It's not too late. It's not time to give up. My best days are ahead of me because of the God that I serve, because he's in the miracle business. He, cannot, he can deliver me from living my life looking backwards with resentment and regret. And instead, he can allow me to one day at a time move forward and understand he started something good and he will complete it in a miraculous, amazing way. Oh, God wants your last years, however long they are, to be your best. Those dreams that you once had, those great visions and ideas and desires that you gave up on at one point, God wants to say, I had a point. I knew what I was doing. And some of those things that you dreamed about, I'm going to do it in an amazing and miraculous way. Not the way you thought, maybe. Maybe you gave up on those dreams a long time ago, but you know, those dreams were of me. They were from me. Anything that ever gave you hope and, and joy, that was all my idea. It's just that I want to take you full circle from how you thought that was going to be fulfilled to how I am going to fulfill it. I'm always amazed by some of these artists that can take a picture with just a bunch of squiggles, and they'll, some, there are some artists who will let somebody from the audience come out and just draw some lines and weirdness on the canvas, and then they'll say, okay, let me see here. And the master artist will come up and turn those lines into a beautiful portrait, a beautiful painting. And you go, man, I was just, I was trying to do something that would make it impossible to make something good out of, which is another way of describing life without Jesus. Let me see how much I can mess my life up. And look what the artist has done. And the key to joy for us in the middle of suffering is how convinced are we that this really is our God, that he really is going to bring it all around, complete the picture, and that someday our life will look like a masterpiece. It will look almost like it was planned, <laughs> because it was, because that's the God that we serve. Now, in the process, if we understand, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's difficult. That's a part of what we go through in order to become who God wants us to be. But when we understand how the process works, then we look for little hints. We look for little signs that God is working. We find joy in small things that he does because he is always whispering and always reminding us. It may just be when you go outside and it's like, this is a beautiful day. I could be in Seattle right now. You know, it's all gloomy and raining. Or, you know, I could be in that humidity of Texas just Ugh, like hell on earth, or I could be, you know, but look where God has me. This is so awesome. It might be that God speaks to you just when someone that you, doesn't, that you don't know, you ever have this happen? Somebody has this look of joy and recognition on their face when they see you, and you're like, I don't know this person. And then it turns out they thought you were somebody else, or they were actually smiling at somebody behind you, and you're like, hey, <laughs> trying to figure out who they are. 
Do you ever think maybe God was just going, I'm going to have somebody accidentally smile at you just to help you along through the day? He's always working. He's doing stuff, you know. It, might, it could just be the fleeting joy that comes from seeing, uh, you know, a Matt Hughes beat B.J. Penn last night in a fight, you know. And I know most of you, thankfully, most of you don't know what I'm talking about. But ultimate fighting. But uh, there are all these little things. You know, this week, it was a week that was tough for me. I had a lot of things happen that just, oh, you know. And one night, I was out till like four in the morning. My son, Danny, got in a, he was out on the freeway late at night and hit a big tarp that was in the road, spun his car out, hit the fence about three times, and ended up with his car sitting there facing traffic, a lot of traffic whipping by, and he calls me on the phone, hey, Dad, I'm on the freeway, and I'm going the wrong direction, and, I, and I'm like, hi, you know, I go, okay, put it, start your car, see if it'll start. Yeah, he backs it off, and, you know, then I said, call 911, and they came and closed the freeway, got the car turned around. I got down there, we got a tow truck, and haul him off, and it was, like, really late, and I was so stressed because of realizing what could have happened, and at the same time, just going, God, you're so good. I can't believe this happened and you protected my son who I love so much. And so, but it was one of those draining sort of experiences. Then the next day, you're just kind of going through the motions of life and feeling kind of worn out and being too busy. And that night, was, I, all I wanted to do was collapse. But Ann was saying, so you want to go out to dinner? I'm like, oh, if you want to. She goes, no, whatever you want. I go, you know, inside I'm going, you know what feels, sounds really good is just to go collapse. But, yeah, sure, let's go out to dinner. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Come on, don't make, me, don't make me work, you know? And finally, we're just driving. Like, I'm just going to go to the first place I see. And then we're over in Huntington Beach, and we saw this um, Payway place, which is like, I think they're owned by P.F. Chang's, great Chinese food. And, and we had eaten at the one in Irvine, and I saw that. I go, that'll be good. You know, Chinese food will keep me awake until we get home at least. And, and so I'm having a pretty good attitude. But Ann chose to take that time to kind of point out to me, I don't, you know, there I don't like to use the word nag, um, so I won't. And there are other appropriate words that I like to use even less. But let's just say that she was really consistently, repeatedly reminding me of some things about me. You know, and, and it seemed like the focus was mostly about you work too much. You're just working too much. You're going to kill yourself. You haven't had a vacation in a couple of years. And you, why do you keep agreeing to go speak for people and, and do this and do that? And I'm like, well, I mean, I committed to it nine months ago. There was nothing on the calendar. I, looked, I didn't know we were going to be moving our church and doing all this stuff. And so Anne was just sort of encouraging me along these lines as we <laughs> ordered our food. And I just seriously just felt like burying my head in the table. I was just like, no, this isn't the day. I can't take this. And we had, were waiting for our food, and I'm just thinking, God, please, get the food here so I can change the subject. And especially, I knew she was right, you know, but I just didn't need to hear it. So I cracked open my fortune cookie. <laughs> and this, the Lord spoke to me. It was so cool. I go... He gave me the lottery numbers. No, no, not the lottery. <laughs> I swear to you, this is the truth. My fortune cookie said, your hard work will be rewarded. <laughs> and I'm like, in your face, look at this. <laughs> but there are so many times 
you're going through life and it's painful, if you don't open the fortune cookie, you might not even hear from God. You know, if you don't build up enough to just actually force yourself to go out when you don't feel like going out, little things like that that God uses and you go, wow, you are there, aren't you? You do hear me. You do know what's going on. And God's going, that's right, I'm not finished. It hurts because I'm not finished. But you can have joy because I'm not finished. I'm not done yet. It's when you see Jesus that you'll be finished. Until then, you're a project, buddy. Get used to it. That's the way it works. Be glad that I'm working in your life. Be glad that, that the vision that I've given you and the, and the plans that we've made together and all of those promises that I've given you, I'm going to fulfill them. I began a good work in you, and I'm going to complete it. And what it finally comes down to the key to joy in the midst of troubles is not only understanding this process. Oh, I see. You know, you could be here today and you're going through tough times and you're like, oh, great, I learned a lot today. Yeah, good things are happening eventually. What is that? No, I can tell you that. And I can tell you that I believe that. I can tell you that I know I'm absolutely persuaded and convinced that your better days are ahead of you if you know Jesus Christ. I know that's true, but. You're sitting there going, I don't know. That just doesn't help me at all. I'm, I can laugh about the fortune cookie, but that's about it. I have no joy. But the key is being confident of this particular attention-drawing thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it. He. Do you know him? The more we get to know him, the more persuaded we are of what he does. And if I have no optimism, and if I'm living my life feeling like a victim, it's because I don't really know him. The more you get to know him, you trust his character, and you'll go where he wants to lead you. And you'll understand that he knows what he's doing. You learn that from experience. You learn that from fellowship, from devotion. Getting to know him makes all the difference in the world if I know him and I trust him. You know, if someone who I love deeply says, I'm going to put a blindfold on you and you're going to get in the car and I'm going to take you somewhere really special. It's a great surprise. Now, I might be a little concerned because of the type of driver that the person who loves me deeply is. But other than that, I'm like, cool, this is exciting. And we could be driving along and hearing people honking at us and stuff, and it's like, hey, they love me. I'm going somewhere exciting. It's a surprise. I'm okay. On the other hand, if someone comes up to me and puts a gun to my head, says, get in the car. Well, why? Where are we going? It's a surprise. I'm not so thrilled. Something tells me there's not a present at the end of this road. This is bad. What's the difference? You're in the car. You don't know where you're going. It's a surprise. The difference? I know one person, and the other one, I don't know. And what I do know, I'm not too impressed with yet. (laughs) That's the way we are with God. It comes down to, have you been convinced that he is trustworthy Have you been convinced that when he starts something, he always finishes well, finishes strong, finishes you, works in your life? However, it looks like a bunch of 
uncontrollable squiggles, it's going to turn into a masterpiece. Do you know him well enough to understand that he can be trusted? That if it hurts, it's a good hurt. You know, when you work out, you feel good about having exercised, and oh, you're sore, but it's a good kind of hurt. I felt this way after the work day. I mean, I was lifting stuff that I shouldn't have and everything. And I, but, you know, after it was over, it was like, oh. And then I'm thinking, man, we got a lot done today. That was awesome. It's another step toward the Lord taking us into our own facility. And it's just, you know, it was a good hurt. When you know God, all hurt is good hurt. It's all him working out his plan in your life and in my life. And it's all about knowing him. That's the deal. At the end of Paul's life in the last book that he wrote, it's actually a few years after this was written. He was still there in Rome, but right before he died. He, he was writing to Timothy, his young protege, who actually was with him in Rome at this point. Timothy went off and left to pastor, and Paul wrote him his second letter to Timothy. And in that letter, as he was talking about the suffering, Paul made the statement. He said, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day or for that day when the Lord comes back, when we see him face to face. I know the one who I trust. I know who I've believed in. And I'm persuaded. It's the same word that's used here for convinced without a doubt because of the evidence. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. And that's what it's about, knowing him. And when I can say, I know him, then I can find joy in the midst of pain. When I say, I know him, and I know how he works, and I understand he works everything out for our good, I know him enough to trust him, then I can sit there and kind of laugh about things that are uncomfortable. I can find joy, that joy that is our strength, the joy of the Lord. It can happen in my life because I have a lens that zooms back and I can see the whole picture and go, of course, this hurts. That's what it takes for him to make me into a masterpiece. So, yeah, go ahead. Have at it. You know, I think of, uh, to me, one of the most puzzling things nowadays is this tattoo craze. It just seems, I mean, people always ask me, you know, is it okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? And it's like, yeah, there's nothing biblically against it, but this just seems stupid to me, <laughs> frankly. I mean, to submit yourself to that kind of pain. But somehow, there must be something about a tattoo that when you get it, you must feel really cool. It must be like, <laughs> I don't know, I'll, I'll probably never find that out. <laughs> but they're plunging needles into you and injecting you with ink and everything, and you're, <gasps> but you're going, it's okay. That's the way a tattoo artist works. They hurt you, and then you look really cool. And I'm okay with that. Man, if, you, if that's what you want to do, and your parents say it's okay, if they're still alive, then <laughs> I don't care, whatever. But it's the same sort of way as Jesus, the tattoo artist, is working on our lives. And he's going, and we're going, ouch, 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 ouch. And then we're going, but when he's done, it's going to look pretty cool. I bet this is going to be something that was worth hurting for, worth waiting for. That's your life. 
That's my life. And when we know him and we trust him, we can find joy because we understand life is a process. It's, a, it's an opportunity for growth. And God has already told us the end of the story. The end of the story is unbelievable. Now, I look at the story right now and go, there's no way out of this. But he says, yeah, there is. There's a way out of it. <laughs> Wait till you see what I do. And when you see what I do, and when you unfold the beauty of who you become, you're going to understand every one of those little needle pricks and every one of those little pains and hurts and every one of those times when you were taken advantage of or when you felt left out or lonely, every one of those moves was essential to developing your character into who you were designed to be. And if we know him... We can just go, okay, this is a part of the deal. That's life. That's growth. That's maturity. And if that's what it takes for him to make me perfect, I'll have at it. God, I trust you. When we can do that, we'll find joy. When we pray for problems, we'll pray with joy. We'll understand that his grace and peace surrounds us. And we'll realize it's all according to to this grand plan that God has. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you don't hack away at us. You know what you're doing. And sometimes it just looks like you're knocking big, huge chunks of stone off of us because we don't see the portrait, the statue that you see, the masterpiece that you've prepared. And for us, sometimes it just looks like broken rocks and slopped on paint. But you see a thing of beauty, a person of beauty that you've planned all along. God, please help us to know you enough to know that we can trust you and to understand that everything that hurts us is a good kind of hurt because it's a part of your plan. Help us to find that joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If anyone's here today who's never accepted...